So it's, it's this retreat time and uh, I've been out in the forest um, for a, a while. I don't know how long now actually. Um, something about that is the situation being there, nothing, candle, getting smaller every day, that's the event. <laughs> you know, and then you put a new one in, that's the project. Uh, and then I come in every, every day, pick up some food, often do a something in the day it's just kind of finishing off various bits and pieces of things to do before I go away and then go back light the candle again burn a bit more wax and uh, so it passes time passes while we get the kind of feeling of being like a, just a big hole that the world pours through <laughs> something there's all these kind of experiences just flowing through this space and uh, you know you think well what do you get after so many days or weeks or years of meditation what's, what, do you, what's the, what do you get you know what's the thing <laughs> you know, no, it just seems like I don't get anything, really. Uh, just that sense of uh, nothing, to, nothing to get, or no, nothing really holding. So it's not. There's no result, but there's no, there's no thing. It's a sense of um, just mind doesn't seem to want to hold anything. Um, So it's kind of uh, strange to talk about in ordinary language, but it's a feeling of uh, truth about it. That's you know, what it feels like. This was like a sense of, well, this is the way it actually is, isn't it? It's what really happens is just that these, these things just go on. Things move, things shift. Things are passing. This is what it is to be conscious, is to have things just passing through. Sights, sounds, thoughts, impressions. Pain, pleasure. It's like that, isn't it? Um, and maybe it doesn't sound like, well, <laughs> you know, what was the what was the point of putting the effort into into practice in order just to know that much? But what what uh, customarily, you know, happens for people and still. See the tendencies and the kind of uh, you know the the residues of that, even the, the latent tendencies. That is something that's always been trying to be built in that. It's built up in that, carved out of that, shaped out of that, fashioned out of that, made out of that. You know, trying to build a territory, identity. You know, so it's, it's kind of creation, karma. You know, things are going on, and within that. 
somebody's trying to make something so happy, pleasant thing, peaceful thing, refined thing, formless thing, subtle thing, vast thing, joyful thing, spontaneous thing, bright. There was this kind of instinct to to want to make something. Make make oneself essentially, and what you one recognises over this whole process of practice is you know you do make a lot of them actually. Um, they, don't, they don't last. They last they don't last that long. And more on practices, the, the, the shorter they last, they're like you know it's like these radioactive elements that only last for a microsecond. Some of, some of them are, first of all, like last for hundreds of thousands of years, it seems. And then gradually, as you, as you, as you practice develops, you get, they don't, they last brief from periods of time. You know, the sense of being something. And, and, and even the, the belief in it, or the inclination to be that way. This is becoming so the world is on fire with the, that becoming, that wanting to be something. It's not even a, a voluntary. Sometimes we consciously, deliberately want to be something, but even we, we, uh, it's an involuntary reflex. Also, so for a normal person's either being happy or being not happy, you know, being successful or being frustrated, being popular or being disliked, being a winner or a loser, you know, having the good possibilities or being a failure, you know. It's kind of multiplicity of these, these experiences, these entities that we can be. You start to recognize them after a while and you get kind of droopy-eared, sense of yourself and you have again this battered state and then there's this sort of more sober and steady being you know got it sorted out now and then there's a kind of bright ebullient being yeah i'm really on a winner and then whoops crush (laughs) 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 the custard pie cosmic custard pie lands (laughs) it's again and then we sort of bedraggled, battered being, <laughs> and uh, struggling, and all kinds of things one can sense oneself as being. You know? And after a while, you begin to kind of see some of these personae. You know? A lot of our practice is just learning to live with this multiplicity of changing selves. You know? coarse, refined, you know, sometimes you feel yourself look like you were you were forty years ago, a little boy, a little girl, a little whimpering thing, uh, petulant tantrums, um, idle musings, meanderings. Uh, kind of getting stuck into 
youthful fantasies when you're 50 years old and you still think about Bill Haley in the comments or something like that. <laughs> Where's that come from? <laughs> this is a, this is just his stuff and, uh, and a certain uh, mode of consciousness it, it sticks and then you, you become it for, for a while. You become that, that person for a while, happy, excited, attractive, or unattractive, stupid. You know, you feel yourself become like this being. And there's a lot of potential in that. You get a lot of intensity in it. It, it really feels like me for a while. And um, so because of that, that's the experience that we, we, we have then most of us is just think, well, I want to find the good one. I want to be the good one for as long as possible. That's what it's about, isn't it? Trying to be the good being, for, you know, eventually maybe we get completely there all the time, in that kind of good space, fluent, flowing, you know, bright, positive, at ease, peaceful, clever, witty, astute, Interested, interesting, you know, yeah, sort of, that's, that's what I want to be in that kind of optimum space as long as possible. I don't want to be stupid, backward, idiot, um, so forth. So maybe, you know, is there some way we can do that? We can kind of tidy up our act to get to that, to be in that state. And then we try a range of things, you know. Obviously, you seek out circumstances, people will help you do that or not present or make it easy for you. People are easy to get on with or, you know, have more winning, optimal experiences and so forth. But we can see over a period of a lifetime, you know, even when one's had reasonable opportunities, and you doesn't quite work that way, does it? And we can always think, yeah, but because I didn't get such a good deal, or but but who who did? <laughs> Show them. Will they please come in? You can see in in uh, you know in sangha lives actually in some ways very uh, comfortable. You know, so when I to monastery, recognize well, you know, four requisites all laid on: food, shelter. Don't have to worry about to hassle for that. Provided, you know, it's got basic living. Things are there, freely offered. Even if you're stupid, unpopular, still given to you. <laughs> Great, you know that takes the pressure off, doesn't it? You have to go out and chat people up to get a bit of food. <laughs> Do anything, you don't produce anything. You're a useless, unemployed, stupid, unattractive bum, and they still give you food and shelter. You've got to keep precepts. 
in a monastery, there's not a lot of opportunities to really break them, actually. Nothing to steal, no need to steal. So it's all, in some ways, it's a very kind of, you know, low-level idyllic, because it's not fantastic. It's just, it's just there. It's a comfortable way. Well, and you think, well, everybody here, they're like-minded people. All are, you know, wanting to live this way. So it should be pretty good, shouldn't it? Live with like-minded people, common interests, common resolutions, you know, and uh, doing the same sorts of things, meditating, studying, reflecting in the same ways, food provided, support, you know, as you, you know, in, in England it's very comfortable, you get kind of sorts of nice treats, and uh, people give you lovely things. So, we're in a winner, you know. Yet you can see how actually most people find it quite painful a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, really? Why is that? You know, <laughs> you know, you could think of something better, but actually, as a basic presentation, it's got a lot of, you know, as a way of living, it's got a lot of good things going for it. Standard, and you don't have to claw after it; it's more or less there. So, why is it so painful for people? Difficult. Partly because there's nothing really to achieve. So all that, uh, you know, that that energy to to make and have and do and get ahead and be something actually hasn't got any traction to go on because there isn't anything really to become. You just get older. And then, you know, they say, well, I always call it becoming senior, you see. So it just makes it a bit more attractive. You know, you're becoming senior. But actually, it's just getting older. <laughs> so, you know, that happens by itself. You don't have to do anything. Do that. So that, it's the frustration of, of that energy that wants to make and do and have and get hold and shape oneself. It hasn't anything to really work on. There's nothing really to, to, to have or make. You know, so when we meditate, well, it's something to do, isn't it? So, well, we can, yeah, yeah, you can do things, you can have experiences and calm and happy experiences. But they, um, you know, they change, come out of them. You this changes, comes, goes, and uh, even that can be quite uh, startling because maybe for a while one did feel, well, yeah, I'm really, I've got this, I'm this, you know, I'm in this state, and you can make it last for quite a while, and then. You know, come out of meditation, things change, it's a sort of open-ended situation, people come and go, it's quite chaotic, and it starts to sort of, you know, all that nice bit starts to get broken up, it gets intense, and things happen, and things to do, and things start moving and shifting, and suddenly you go, whoa, 
and even quite um, um, painful. Because of the amount of um, investment one has made into, into that particular state of, you know, you really had something quite good. This story of um, Ajahn Mahabur got his tremendous uh, samadhi experiences for a while. He, you know, he really practiced at it. Very, very intense, very intense character. Very, very determined, a lot of energy, a lot of push. And so he, he developed these tremendous uh, concentration states where he could just go into this highly absorbed, steady, rock-steady state of mind. It's almost like a blink of an eye. And his teacher said to him, yeah, it's just like having a bit of meat stuck between your teeth, isn't it? <laughs> just, you know, you keep going to it, just like you've got a bit of meat stuck between your teeth, your tongue keeps going to that place, a big deal. And he said that the pain of that was such that if it hadn't been anybody else, he'd have killed him. And he said from there, his whole practice just started to fall apart, unraveled like a sweater. It's like somebody pulled it, because the whole sense of the amount of, of energy and intensity and belief and conviction that had gone into that state and pulled away. And his teacher just said, well, so what? There's about as much value as having a bit of meat stuck between your teeth. That's what it's like, isn't it, when you've really put yourself into something, you know, whatever it is, you know, bought your new car or something and the thing breaks down, the romance and it goes wrong, you know, the dream and it gets shattered, just the amount of, of energy and conviction and heart energy and belief and passion and intensity and drive and resolve and it's gone into something you know and it goes pop and then there's a heartbreak with that that's the nature of the, the, the process of self, of, of creating and holding on to something, you know, puts you onto a raft that's bound to sink. So in a way, in the meditation, you, you know, and in, particularly in monastic life, you get to see that, and you get to experience the pain of it. Because in a way, one, the, 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 one's energies are not so diffused, not so many things just spread out over. So you've got this tremendous possibility to really put everything you've got into into one or two things, you know, to really... And it's about that kind of interest, isn't it? You know, for the, the supreme experience, the peace of mind, the optimal state of being. Yeah? Where, you know, how we would experience that. It could be a range of things, you know, it could be a build-up out of you know, peaceful place, harmonious situation, pleasant countryside, you know, you know, calm, no pressures, 
you know, externally, internally, steady mind, joyful heart. You can build all this up into something and then pop. Mm. Argument, bit of chaos, uh, bit body goes, health goes, something, and then bat. And uh, there's tremendous uh, pain of that. It's happening all the time. Real name in this monastery is Heartbreak Hotel. <laughs> well, you never get to be anything for very long. But its, it's whole, whole sense of it is built on the idea that you could be, you know, in the way you interpret the practice, is this is a place where you could become something. Something really, you know, much better. And, and, and you can, you, relatively, of course. But ultimately, you don't. Ultimately, you end up sensing the kind of this quizzical nature of experience that we somehow are stitched into, or woven into. Things continually shift and change and can't be held and won't be made, won't be built up, and won't go away either. Mm. To be attached to the formless realms, sense of space and the uncontracted mind, what it's like when the mind's not holding anything, you this really sense, oh, nice and spacious, and then you hold that spacious openness, and then it goes because you've got to deal with all kinds of nitsy fitsy little details of things that clutter it up. You know, every time I, I notice that, you know, it's something like a kind of data, like a messenger, one of my guardian angels, whenever I my mind starts getting this kind of formless, uncontracted state. It means this is two days before you're about to receive the agenda for the English Sangha Trust meeting, the elders meeting, five faxes and three crises <laughs> of things you've got to deal with. You know, it comes in like that as the formless, and suddenly it fills up with all these kinds of things you've got to get very detailed on. You know, what would it be with this? Would be in that state where there's no thoughts occurring. And then you, you attach to the one attaches to the formless. That kind of uh, it seems almost this instinct that that occurs. The basic Ouija are not seeing that really we're just like a, if we're anything, we're just like a space things pass through. You can't have and you can't hold and you can't stop things passing through it. Why, why don't we accept that? That's the way it is. Well, the feeling is one thing, isn't it? Incredible charge, surge that feeling has, pleasant feeling, painful feeling. You can feel yourself, something contracts around pleasant feeling. You know, it, gets, it gets narrowed, gets focused in, gets charged, gets contracts around the pleasant feeling. Oh, that's out of that. Painful feeling contracts around it. No, no, no. You feel it, everything suddenly tightens up, the hole suddenly disappears, and you, it becomes a tightness 
around feeling, around contact. Mm-hmm. That's the, this is the kind of very fundamental things that we are de- working with in our, in our lives, is the effect of feelings and impressions. And uh, it can it can come out of it. You know, physical feeling is is a natural thing. Mental feeling you can actually you can do something about. You know, like the body is supposed to have feeling, you know, to survive. It's possible for the the mind to release itself from feeling. It doesn't mean being insensitive. It means that instead of the contracting. The charge, it can be the sense of equanimity, dispassion. A lot of the meditation practice, a lot of it is just, you know, reckon, feeling the feeling and knowing and experiencing how it changes. Happiness and the unhappiness, which are very poignant on the on the emotional level, the mental level, the heart level. Yeah. They probably even more so than the physical, and uh, it's a huge realm. Yeah, we can get unpleasant mental feeling from one thought, and give you unpleasant mental feeling for a day. One thought. I'll tell you what it is. <laughs> I'm sure you'll find one. Yeah? You know, just one thought will do that. Something worry, something you can worry about, something you can regret, something you feel angry about, wounded by. You know? Wow. That's how how vulnerable it is. And, uh, you know, a few words, another, somebody's words, a few words, a few gestures, a few non words. So maybe, you know, somebody doesn't speak to you and get really offended by. They do speak to you and get offended by. It can happen like that. So it's really that, uh, you know, kind of contemplating this. But if you're just even just staying open to that flow of feeling, you rec- recognize there's a place where it, the feeling becomes a person. You, know, you get the kind of feeling and you, you feel yourself becoming something. Uh, you know, tight, narrow, depressed, wounded, you know, uh, whatever it is, agitated, overwhelmed. Mm. You kind of get this whole persona arises, and there I am again. And then from that persona, you start to kind of view the whole world in that way. It didn't happen like that. You know, you have a few unpleasant mental feelings. You become a sense of the person who can't 
do it or hasn't managed it or isn't treated very nicely. And then in that position, you start to remember all the other things that will fit the bill. It's a kind of uh, strange power we, that the mind has. We can create a world out of, out of a, that particular feeling. Remember, <laughs> even when it's completely uh, contradicted by by other other facts. I remember a few years ago, I was a teaching retreat, and a couple of people on it. It was a silent retreat. Seeing this man and woman got some attraction on the on to each other on the retreat, so they were kind of leaving little notes around. <laughs> Because it was noble silence, so they had a kind of brief romance in, in note form. And then, <laughs> amazing, isn't it? Uh, you know, so, so you're able to, the mind can create that much, you know, so that uh, by about the seventh or eighth day of the retreat, they decided they, that was it, you know. There was some big chemistry happening, and they were out. So they, they thought, okay, we're out. Yeah. And, um, I think the retreat I was teaching was called the the end of the world, you know. And there's, I used to give these kind of awesome titles to retreats: the end of the world, <laughs> to journey to the end of the world. So anyway, they decided they were going to go and get married on day eight of the end of the world. <laughs> so they came to see me, you know, a little bit bashful. And I said, "Oh well." I say, well, that's the way the world begins, isn't it? You know, this is the beginning of the world. <laughs> and anyway, so they left. What are they doing? And then uh, I guess it obviously it wasn't such a, you know, the sort of thing you're supposed to do on retreat. So probably a bit of guilt around that. Because the next time I, I remember saw the, the man and he, he said to me, you know, he was looking a bit bashful. He said, "Well, you know, we're going to get married, and maybe you could, um, you know, like you could do a blessing or something." So I said to him, "Oh, you're getting spliced, are you?" And he looked at me a bit, kind of, um, you know, and then he wandered off. And I thought, That's strange. You know, he's blessing. I thought he might give me some details on what he wanted me to do. So. Um, a few years later, actually, maybe, maybe again, and he his his version of what happened was, he said he was getting married, and I said, and would I give him blessing? Blessing, and I said, oh, pigs would fly. <laughs> In other words, that's about how likely it is that I'll give you a blessing. So I'd said, getting spliced, need heard, pigs would fly, which takes quite a bit of doing. Yeah, they're not that close. <laughs> you know, that's so you, you recognize, but actually, when it obviously the sense of he, he must have felt I disapproved, well, yeah, to a certain extent, I wasn't that keen, you know, but I wasn't really carrying it at that time. So you've got that already there, and then the current information or the current signals actually interpreted in light of that particular perception he had. 
So it actually it affects what you hear. And when you recognize something like that, you think, wow. You know, we can really create our world, can't we? Can we stop it? That's the problem. <laughs> you know, when it actually affects what you hear, what you see, what you remember, what you pick up, what you pick up from other people, you know, what you th- how you think people see you, you know, what you think they said or do. And it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's out there, and yet it's hugely... Um, affected by where I'm coming from, how I'm hearing it, and who's hearing it. And often you never really consider that, do you? You think, well, we take this sense of where I am now as being, this is normal, it's solid, permanent, real, me, you know. And uh, yeah, so what I'm hearing and seeing is is uh, coming. You know, my receptors are there. I'm picking it all up. Yeah, and 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 you suddenly get something happens, and uh, you think it's out there that the uh, the problem lies. It all depends. Um, sometimes I, you know, I sit and I, something happens. I get a message or a signal or a bit of writing, a letter or something, and suddenly the world seems incredibly Sangalai seems incredibly complicated and dense and intense and heavy. Because uh-huh. I'm trying to understand it. I'm trying to actually be able to sort it out in my mind, and it won't be sorted out. This, um, you know, you try to keep getting the big picture of what, what is wanted, or what's good, or what's right, or what's true, or what's the teaching, or what's the dhamma, or what's the vinya, or what's the sangha. And you think, God, it's so complicated. Heavy, isn't it? And because one tries to, tries to understand it. When you try to think it, you come from that position of trying to catch it in the mind, like trying to net it in your mind, because it won't be netted. It becomes, it seems incredibly complicated. When you try to um, hold it in your heart emotionally, it seems so strange and cold or ungraspable or disappointing because you're trying to hold it in the heart. That's what, in this life, in Sankh life, you really get perspectives on that. It seems you almost have free range to really, you know, try to grasp as best as you can. From the, with the, you know, you've got lots of time to do it. You don't have a job. You've got plenty of time to just work on sheer, raw, grasping. <laughs> Unfettered. <laughs> on trying to, you know, Find the world. Nothing's going to get in the way. You can, whenever you have three months of retreat, you know, there's nothing to do except find the real world. You know, find the place where it feels good. 
this is it, this is it, you know. So we meditate, we reflect, you know. You're trying to grasp it, you're trying to grasp it. And it gets, you know, really quite, and it won't be, it won't be grasped. So we think there's something going wrong. I haven't had it, I haven't got it. But when you kind of actually reflect on who's doing the grasping, you know, you feel this intensity or the hunger or the contractedness or the um, demandingness or the, you know, well, maybe if you could just actually, you know, work on that. It's a feature of monastic life, you know, that, that intensity. So you meet people who, the idea of veneer is like, like walking a tightrope with your, you know, it's got to be exactly razor sharp, and they you know everything exactly razor sharp. They're looking for the ultimate state of absolute crystalline clarity, conviction, steadiness, purity, that's it, nothing but. <laughs> <laughs> Or they want the pure Dhamma, the pure, the really pure quintessential, you know, or the ultimate Samadhi, you know, whatever it is, you know, the things we do, you know. We can have kind of goals like the, the harmonious community, working in community harmony. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll have some of that too, sure. <laughs> but you know how you can actually begin to reflect on these are all great. I'm really, you know, these are all good, lovely things in their own way, but you actually feel where you're coming from with that. You can feel yourself getting you know, demanding, cantankerous, snappy, judgmental, <laughs> tight. <laughs> Uh, you know, well, we can't have this, we can't have that, we can't have this, we can't have that. Eventually, you know, there's no one left on the planet to live because you just kind of cut off all the things that are going to stop that happening. I'll, I'll have a harmonious community if there's no people in it. <laughs> That's what it's like because actually. It's purely, these, the grasping is purely, you know, this sense of this incredible self-view, trying to make reality fit my, this particular self-view, this particular self. And it's a phantom. It's, you can feel it. You can feel yourself possessed by these, these beings. Some feel really good. Obviously, you wouldn't, some were terrible. Some you really think, oh, this is me, I'm good now, really, this is it, great. For a while, some of them feel really bad. And yet, a practice is, is actually, the, the humbling thing is to recognize this process that we, that's going on. 
oh Lord, here I go again, you know, taking over the universe again, taking over the world again. Can I be with something without sticking my thumbprints all over it, grabbing hold of it? (laughs) Wanting it to, you know, fiddling with it. And rather than even trying to stop the habit, you begin to actually notice how do I arise? You know, how do I how do I happen? I was noticing this today. I was just doing some walking meditation down by the, the cloister, walking along, dot dot dot, and then it was just feeling very open, spacious, and, and things just puttering through the sound of the footsteps. And I saw Venerable Tita Dummo out fishing around in his sewage. And so I was Tita Dummo fishing around in his sewage. Oh, it's Tita Dummo. Oh, you know, this kind of emotion about Tita Dummo arose. You know, oh, nice Tita Dummo. So I actually almost immediately grab hold of this person. I want to do something to them, you know. Talk to them, help them, make something. Wow, and there I was. You know. And it came out of that. Okay. And I saw the path of these. I mean, we could plant some trees down there. Suddenly there I was, planting trees. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Sorting it out again, you know, making the world right. Stop. Out of that. Wow. This, this uh, taking form. A kind of like a this raw instinct to keep impressing onto the onto the onto the cosmos, tanha, and then the forming is is called mana conceit. It's like the, from that something starts to get formed. You become something. You take a form. You become the organizer. You become the uh, you know, whatever it is, the friend, the supporter, the, you know, you feel yourself forming into something. And that becomes yourself. There you are for a while. And then it doesn't actually quite happen the way that, you you know, you wanted it to. So you become slightly disappointed or try again or do the next one. Or sometimes it works. You think we'll do another one. This is karma. And uh, you know, so you, and then you get to recognise the feeling of it, these phantoms that take over. You know, just relax. The interesting thing is actually, just if you can get to the place where you're really feeling it and sensing it, you feel the contraction of the mind, the speeding up of the pulses, the physical feelings, or whatever it is, the contraction of the body, the buzzing of the of the thinking, the pumping of the heart. Okay, that's just that, isn't it? And then breathing out, letting go, letting it dissolve. And then you go back to your cootie and light the candle again. There it goes, another two inches. That was today. <laughs> you know, sorted out the universe, or whatever it was. Uh, 
came back feeling like a total victim, basket case misunderstood, or on a winning streak, whatever it is, and then light the candle again, here we go, down the hole. <laughs> Till over a period of time, you, you get more familiar with this kind of process of that, and so you actually become much more attuned to just being aware of, of how do I arise, you know, how does that sense of me happen? Not even, you know, being critical of it. It's not bad. Sometimes it's good. But it, you know, it's got consequences. And it's only going to last for a while. So, you get a sense of that and then how there is the possibility of letting go of that. Awareness, release, trust in it, non-judgment of it, not fretting about what one's become, not lingering on it, powdering its nose, kicking it around, there it was, like that. It's not actually self, it's patterning. And in the process of Dharma cultivation, it's almost like these patterns have to be exposed in order to be seen compassionately, spaciously, calmly, and allowed to unfold and give their energy back into awareness, which is why they unload. Every time you know you come out, every time you unfold from one of these self positions, it just comes back into awareness. And the wisdom recognizing the dependent, the arising of self, the ceasing of self. So obviously, you know, to function, we come into positions of being something. But you learn how to have that happen without hanging on to it without seeking it, or resisting it, trying to make it the best, fretting about it, you know, you become something out of conditions, and then you let it pass. Anyone?